Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel and I am the host of the show where I have conversations with Olympic athlete hopefuls and legends on their story and path to the games. Today, we have our first reoccurring guest. We have Lucas Kaczynski of USA Shooting. We had him on back in November of 2018, so it's been a pretty long time. But Lucas has recently qualified for the 2020 Olympic Games, so we thought it would be cool to have him back on, see what he's been up to, see what he's doing, and see how he got to his second Olympics or the opportunity to make it to his second Olympic game. So really cool listening to his stories, what he went through at the Pan American Games, how he's completely revamped his training and what he's doing and how he's doing it. it was really interesting to listen to and see how he got to now his again second Olympic Games and how he can improve upon what he did in 2016. So please enjoy this episode with Lucas Kaczynski. All right, today reoccurring guest First time I got to say that, Lucas Kaczynski, USA Shooting, 2016 Olympian and dun, 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 2020 Olympic athlete, May 31st, 1995. It's a great birthday in Lucas's life. Metairie, Louisiana is where he was born. Starting, started shooting in high school, graduated from NC State where he was an All-American. 2016 Olympian, as I said, recently earned a spot on the 2020 Team USA Shooting Team Air Rifle Olympics. Let's get it going, Lucas. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. No, man. This is awesome. This is like this is the first time I started this podcast like two years ago, um, a little less than two years ago, and you're the first person that has I had on a really long time ago, and then made the Olympics just for reference sake. If anyone wants to go back and listen to what Lucas was doing about 15 months ago, our last episode was released November 7th, 2018. So what's what's been happening, Lucas? I hear uh, I hear some cool things have been going on in your life. Yeah, things have been pretty busy since then. Um, 2019 was a pretty whirlwind of a year, both just with doing adult things and then competing for the United States at different different locations. Um, I went to Beijing in April, um, came back, warmed up for Pan American Games at the National Championships in Georgia, um, shot the Pan American Games, and then um, capped off the end of the year at Olympic trials. And it was kind of a quick turnaround. We turned uh, about a month and a half later we had a second part of Olympic trials and now we're, now we're here. I'm on the team. I've got my schedule laid out for the rest of the year and it's kind of, you know, boom, boom, boom. We're getting ready to get, get on with the rest of the year towards the Olympics. Let's get it on, man. Let's get it on. I love it. I just think it's so cool. Uh, you know, just the opportunity that we get to have, um, just to have this conversation, obviously, as you said, there's a lot that's been going on. You said a lot of adulting things too. Is that anything specific or, or just, you know, trying to live a life as an adult? Well, I mean, um, do you get married or anything? Yeah, my wife and I got married. Okay, there we go. 2018. And a couple months, I guess I was a full year. um, Full year later, we ended up, or maybe not a full year. So in May of of 19, we actually ended up getting a house. Now, we didn't buy one, we're renting it, but that's pretty cool. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a pretty big step. No, it is. is. I love it. I love it. I just like yeah. how you said that, you know, we got a house, Well, we didn't buy it. We're renting one. No, I just, I just like that aspect of it. I also was able to do that as well. Moving into a house Ooh. and renting it is so much nicer. Not, not buying one yet, but renting a house is a lot better than an apartment. Um, yeah. And then your business. I, I definitely want to touch upon that. I know we spoke about that at the, the end of the last episode. Um, so team winning solutions. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that just in case people forgot. Um, so team winning solution is the goal of that. It's just to fundraise, um, Oh, sorry, to, to raise money for shooting athletes to prepare themselves for the Olympic Games. And how we do that is through coaching services and consulting. And so the whole goal of that is to kind of bridge the gap between, um, or maybe not bridge the gap, but like 
fill in the learning gaps of all the shooters around the country. So it doesn't matter if you're from California or New York, uh, a lot of times there are, a lot of kids are missing things. And so from their perspective, from the athlete's perspective, we can fill in those gaps by saying like, if they have an experience, we can help them interpret that experience. We build training plans, uh, workout routines, nutrition stuff, whatever, and try to give them like the full picture um, deal and try to help them uh, put into perspective this whole, this whole mission that we're on. You know, it's like, for me, I've been doing this for about 10 years going into 11. And I mean, it took me about that long to start being relevant. Um, and I think a lot of people need to, need to know, know and understand like to build a skill like that, it does take time and a lot of time. And so that's how we're able to get in there and really help them out. Um, so since I last talked to you, I've held a bunch of camps. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the bigger ones was before nationals last year called the Georgia Southern university elite shooting or elite rifle camp. Um, and that one was sponsored by SK. It's an ammunition company. They gave us some ammunition. Uh, and it was wonderful. These kids got the opportunity to train kind of like a lot of the national teams do. So they go to a location and they just shoot a bunch. They get to deal with some of the technical side of things, acclimate to the location they're in, all that kind of stuff. So it gave them, opportunity to do that and a lot of them did well at nationals um and since then a lot of these juniors are putting themselves in good positions um i actually have two in particular one of them is in eighth place right now in the small board selection procedure which will conclude in the end of march and then another one that finished uh fifth or sixth can't remember where he finished fifth or sixth in the air gun selection procedure um and that's a very hard thing to do at such a young age um so I'm very proud of those two guys. I, I was going to ask, like, what is it like, what does it mean to you? Again, as you said, you've been doing this for a very long time and it took you a while to, you know, you call it be relevant, but, um, you know, what does it mean to you when you can start to see people that you are affecting directly by helping them, teaching them, bringing them, allowing them to come to these camps? What does that mean to you when you think about this business, especially thinking about it long-term? Um, well, I kind of think about, well, actually it's a lot of pride because I know, there's as far as like the United States' stances on rifle shooting, you know, we're not the best. Um, but every time I see these kids have a success like this, um, domestically, it's like, wow, you know, the future is looking really good right now. And it's so cool to see them almost up to par with a lot of the other shooters. And they're so young, like 16, 17 years old. It's like, wow. And they're not even, they're, you know, they're not done with high school yet. They, they don't, they don't really know what they want to do, but they're out there just, having fun and they're doing their thing and they're succeeding. Um, and so that's, that's a great feeling. It's almost, it's more important to me than the Olympics is. Wow. Very strong statement, but I mean, absolutely. How many lives are you affecting exactly like this? I think it's just so cool. And again, that's why I really did want to make sure I brought it up. And, and just to go back to the statement you made one more time, you know, you said it took you 10 or 11 years to become relevant at something. One of my favorite quotes is take, uh, you know, every overnight success takes 15 years. So, um, you're, you're well ahead of schedule if you ask me. So you're doing something right, man. I love it. Um, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I just, I just think it's so cool how you kind of have this business. And last time I don't even think the, uh, mission was exactly the same. So I think it's kind of cool how you've been able to change it and really focus a lot on the athletes trying to go to the games and doing everything that they need to do on that end. Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the things. So you said you was just, just to correct me on the timeline, the nationals national championships was before the Pan American games. Correct. It was a month. Before. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about that. You won national championship, correct? I did. That would be Congratulations. my, thank you. Yeah. It was my third air rifle title that, um, at that match. 
Um, and it was cool for me because it's, you know, I coach all these kids and everything like that. Um, and one of the things I've really been looking for with Airgun is consistency and performance. And so it was around that time frame that I actually started seeing that kind of level of consistency and being able to prove to these kids like, hey, you know, here's all, here's the whole process. Here's the timeline that I'm set and I'm starting to meet it. Boom. You know, step one, national. Step two is Pan American Games and step one worked out. There you so. go. And then you can go on to step two. Absolutely. So let's actually take one step back for a second. Um, so yeah. we'll, 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 we'll get to step one. We'll get to step two, but let's take a step back. Can you explain a little bit about your sport again? Because since I've had you on, you were one of the first, I don't know, let's call it 30 episodes or so. Um, and now we're about 150 almost deep. So I don't know how many people that have been listening recently have gone all the way back to hear your episode. So I really want to make sure that we're educating them still. Um, happy we talked about your business a little bit, but if you don't mind talking about your sport specifically, Air Rifle, um, sure. how it works, what you do, and, and really, I guess, as you put before, you know, what is the United States' stance kind of in this sports realm? Um, so air rifle. And so it's a, um, you know, there's a men's event and women's event and then a mixed team event. Um, so, um, I'll be competing in the men's event and the mixed team event, the Olympic games. And I guess the simplest way to put it is that it is a skill-based sport such as golf, bowling, um, things that operate or things that require a human being to do a certain amount of action or not actions, but do a certain amount of tasks um, with an objective outcome, right? And so you're only doing the offensive stuff. There's no defensive stuff. Nobody else is stopping you from scoring. It's just you and the, and the objective. Um, and so what the actual sport is specifically is um, you have a target. And so if you're looking at a pen right now or if you got a piece of paper in front of you, um, you can draw a little dot on the piece of paper, just a little dot, and that's about the size of the 10 ring. And then you put that 10 ring out at 10 meters away from you, um, and that's what we're aiming at. Now there's a, there's a couple of uh, concentric rings that go around it. And what we end up doing is that we're aiming an aperture. So it's a circle within another circle, the rear side. So we have circles and we're putting circles on top of each other. And then we're taking a shot at that, at that dot. Now the hard part about this is we're lining up all these circles on top of each other. And we're having to deal with things like, you know, movement of the gun, weight of the gun, balance, how the, body is interacting with everything and so i don't know i don't know how many people look at like amateur golf but when you look at a like a golf swing occasionally you'll see something that's just unrefined and how it catastrophically affects somebody's outcome thinking about that in terms in terms of our sport if something goes wrong it does cascade out in ripple effects um and so the sport comes down to very similar to golf very similar to bowling or whatever it's a discipline sport it's how you're interacting with that piece in the moment each individual part of it is not difficult to do but doing it repetitively at such a high level is very difficult to do so we measure the the outcome of the success with um frat or not fractions but um um oh tenths of a tenths of a millimeter and so Mi of a little, millimeter correct oh my goodness it's so it's very small so if we look back down at that dot if we were to land a pellet on top of that dot, that's 10.9 points. Now, every tenth of a millimeter out, you you know, it's like 10.8, 10.7, 10.6, whatever. That's you know, lesser points all the way to zero. Um, so, say if you're to shoot a 10.5 and another 10.5, you're sitting there at 21 points. Does that make sense? Yeah, 
Sounds like a pretty yeah. good score too. Yeah. So when you're thinking about it, um, multiply that by 60, or not, well, not those two numbers, but say if you shoot a 10-5, yeah, 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 multiply yeah. that by 60, that's a, well, a world-class rate, and that's about a 630, and that's kind of what we're aiming for. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the standard for World Cup Finals. Um, cool. So kind of moving to our history a little bit. Um, we had some success in air, guns back, uh, in air gun back in the 80s, um, and we had a couple of World Cup finalists and medalists dabbled throughout um, you know, the first decade, first decade and a half. Um, of the new millennia but since the olympics we haven't we haven't done anything um jenny thrasher won the gold medal at the olympic games in 2016 so that was really good um and we had success at the quote-unquote domestic championships which is all the america competitions um but and then we had some people do do well um in some other regional stuff in germany but as far as world cup success we haven't had a whole lot um, and that's one of my goals is trying to change that. Let's go, man. Let's change it. I love it. That is awesome. Well, thank you again for the explanation of the sport a little bit. Shoot as close as you can to this dot that you can barely see. Sounds difficult, um, but I think you did a great job at explaining it. So I really do appreciate that. And uh, yeah, looking at this dot, man, I, you, you put that 30 feet away, essentially 10 meters, and you're then supposed to shoot at it. I mean, how big is the bullet? It's 0.177 millimeters. Okay. That's super tiny too. It is yep. very tiny. <laughs> yep. That's that that that's that's enough for me. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. So you go to so let's go back to step one. So let's talk about the national championships a little bit. As you said, you went down to Georgia. Yeah. Um, and you went and you you took home the national championship for the third consecutive or third time overall? Third time overall. I missed one. I forgot what year it was, but I came in third one year. And what is, as you said, staying consistent with what you do and how you do it, how, especially in a sport like this, as you reference to golf, you know, um, you know, I'll just, I'll just reference back to golf. You know, if you practice every day for 30 minutes, you're more likely to be better at golf or your swing is more likely to be better than if you just go and play around every Saturday. Right. So what is, what is the consistency like on your end, um, in understanding that if you can continue to just come back to this event every single year and take it home, you can start to see yourself just continuously, continuously improving to the point where you can go out onto that world cup circuit and start taking home some medals. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm dealing with is like my own blood pressure and how my body responds to stress. And I've been exploring that since the summertime and nationals was my first real test of, okay, can I maintain control and shoot, you know, at least a 10.4 every time. Um, and that was the first match where I did do that back-to-back. Uh, -back. So our selection matches and our national championships are two days plus another final. Um, and that was my goal. Like, okay, one match, like one after another, get into the final and do well in the final. Um, I came in second in the final, and that gave us just a couple extra points because of our selection procedures. Um, but it was really reaffirming to me just because it allowed me to – kind of appreciate and say, okay, I've been doing all this exercise. I've been dieting differently. This is kind of the outcome right now. And I'm, you know, I, in hindsight, that was kind of really like the, the seeds and what it would eventually grow into. Um, but I'm glad I was able to see it then because it was a tangible cause effect. This is starting to improve. Um, and at a national level where there is a lot of stress and there's a lot of people there um, with also the um my own expectation to represent myself and the kids that i work with um that was kind of a big deal um to me at least for opening that door a little bit more what exactly have you been doing to help 
with the blood pressure? Like what, what were the seeds that you were planting and, and what are you trying to make grow? So I'm trying to find a way for my body to filter through that chemical response to pressure. And so it doesn't matter whether you're um, like, if you're public speaking or if you're taking a test or that matters or, you know, whatever um, people have a response to stress. And when you psychologically deal with that, um, you can mitigate that response a little bit, but um, there, it is to a point where you're just a general conditioning of your body will stop you. And so um, that was one of the things that I really neglected to do up leading up until the summer last year, where it's like, okay, I do exercise here and there, but it wasn't calculated. I was just kind of doing whatever. But then I started, I started running with, um, you know, with purpose. I started having a more of a plan. It's like, okay, if I meet these benchmark, benchmarks or benchmarks, then I can actually get somewhere that I want to go to. Um, and so putting my body under stress in exercise has allowed me to adapt to pressure more easily. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much what I'm kind of looking for at that time. And now it's mm -hmm. a little bit different. That's really interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense um, that if you're dealing with something, as you said before, you brought up the, the body's changes and how that will affect how you shoot. I mean, I assume that has to do with breathing. I assume that has to do with just heartbeat. Like at that point, when we're trying to get something that tiny from that far away, I feel like a yeah. heartbeat can kind of throw that off to the point where, you know, if, if you shoot a laser or a light up into space, you know, every, every time you go out, it gets further and further away, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, that was a terrible, terrible explanation of what I was trying to say, but I think you know what I was trying to say there. So, I mean, it's just like how would it, so, so once you did start to see like, okay, if I, workout that will then either reduce my resting heart rate or that will reduce what my body feels when I am stressed. What have you been able to, I mean, obviously, as you said, you saw it and then those seeds were planted. So what have you been doing moving forward to really take advantage of something that you can understand that, you know, after 10 years in the sport, this is something that can really then take you to that next level. Yeah. Um, so I started, you know, I started understanding the, the effects of it. Um, but it wasn't until October that I got a heart rate monitor. I started playing with different, you know, dietary stuff and I really started measuring my heart rate. And so, um, when you're, when you're doing activity, whether it's just looking around or, you know, walking around, whatever you have, you know, your heart rate's going up and down, up and down. And, um, what I, what I started training myself to do was, okay, can I control that decent? Like, can I push that decent as far low as I can or not as far low as I can, but into a range where I could go like, okay, I'm shooting and oop, I passed that threshold. Now I'm holding center. Now I can take the shot. Um, and I've been able to measure that objectively through a heart rate monitor and then through a device that we call SCAT. Um, and it's like a, it's what you described a second ago. It's a laser that will track where the shot is and where our barrels are pointing. And I kind of got a little crazy with that, but I learned a whole lot about um, just what the heart rate does. And it's amazing too that um, – what you think can affect that cardiac response. And so your cardiac response when you're walking is different from you sitting, different from you thinking about stuff, sleep, actually exercising, you know, whatever. Um, and it's learning what to do with that in the moment. And so that's really what, what my time has been spent on. It's like, okay, I'm going to go exercise for two hours. I'm going to come in here and train and I'm going to go put on this heart rate monitor and I'm just going to see like, okay, at a fatigue state, at a fatigue state, what am I doing and what, what is my heart rate doing? Um, and what I'm finding is eh, it doesn't do the same thing every time. Mm -hmm. 
Of course which not. Is, you know, I wish it'd be that easy, but it's fine. Um, if, if anything was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing. Exactly. Um, nice. So then we, um, you know, my coach and I, um, plus some, some experts here at the USOPC, we started diving deep and like, okay, can you identify these different conditions and do something about it? And that's really what I've been training to do. Um, and so fast forward all the way to Olympic trials, I was under that immense pressure, but I was able to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was a really big difference. That is pretty cool, man. I mean, so like, obviously being an elite athlete like yourself, um, I, I assume, I can't remember if we spoke about it last time. So, so please refresh my memory. I assume there's some form of positive self-talk. There's some sort of breathing meditation. Um, yep. This sounds like you're you're kind of combining the the physical and the mental aspects. Again, just take it to another level, so that way when those thoughts or, or opportunities or things come into your head, or you're able to pretty much just control through your thoughts your physiological body. It sounds like. Yeah, um, you know that being able to measure heart rate and what that does has been able to allow me to see just thinking differently, how that affects your heart. Cause if like, if you're sitting there and you're thinking about something that's really exciting, you're going to get yep, of course. about it and I could measure that. And so I was able to associate that feeling with, you know, yeah, I'm thinking about all these great things, but it's not productive things right now. And so I can then shift my focus somewhere else. Um, and so that's been really critical. So then with something like that, though, I mean, I'd get pretty excited if someone was like, hey, you know, if you make this shot, you go to the Olympics, right? And that's something you're, I, I don't know if you're thinking about that in that final shot in the lead up to, you know, at Olympic trials, but like, at, where is that level or, or personally, what have you found to be like, okay, maybe this is almost too much positive self-talk and maybe we kind of just need to bring it back down to a level that's, I guess, flatlined a little bit more as you, as you've been saying, kind of making oh, yeah. sure that you're underneath that specific threshold. Yeah, there's a there's a system called grounding, and well, you're it's kind of like grounding your self conscious or your subconscious mind um, through conscious thought. And so, one of the things that I do is really simple. Um, when I'm especially when I'm doing well in a match, is I'll sit there and I'll just look at things. Like right now, we're sitting in a conference room. It's like okay, there's a pink expo pen over there. There's some stuff written on the board, like the top lines of strategies, and there's a calendar over here. Um, Olympics start, you know, July 24th or something like that. I can't really read that far away. Um, but I just point at things and I like say this thing, that thing, oh, look, another thing. And just redirecting focus will bring that heart rate down a little bit. And with that in mind, your brain isn't as pumped full of these chemicals and these, these, this reaction in the blood and it's not in this fight or flight mode. And then all of a sudden you can like, you know, if, one of the engines is burned out on the airplane. You can grab control of it. And it's like, Oh, yep. Nope. We're, we're good now. You know, we're fine. We're not plummeting to the earth. We're actually doing, we can still do pretty okay with what we've got. That is super, super interesting. And I think what you especially, yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Don't worry. Um, what, um, you, you, re it's really cool. You explained it that way because I have a friend who works for a, um, he works for himself and he represents athletes in golf. And oh, one of his athletes that he works with does this exact same thing in just a slightly different way. And he used it on his lead up to sinking a putt that would take him to the masters. Um, and the oh, thing that cool. he did, yeah, pretty, pretty cool. Right. So what the thing he does is it's, he does the exact same thing, but with colors. So whatever color he sees, he just says the grass is green. That tree is Brown. 
the leaves are red. And it's, it's essentially the same thing, it sounds like, except you yeah. know, he just associates it with colors. And he said by the time he gets there, he's just like, all right, cool, I'm good. Like, everything's fine. And, and it's exactly the same thing. It's, it's the mental, there's a lot of chemicals running through our brains, whether we know it or not, and, and being able to kind of take them down and, and harness them and, and use them for good rather than for excitement or, you know, I think there's a quote, you rather than evil, um, I think is, is super important too. So I think it's really cool. Where did you find out about um, either training like this or, or doing all of these things? Was this something you researched on your own or through just talking with other people? Um, it was really talking with other people. Um, there's one of, the, one of the shooters here. He, um, um, he's really big into like objective measuring. And I would make, you know, it's actually pretty common for a lot of people like, oh my God, you know, this, this made my day so much better. But it was like some placebo effect where they assumed this thing was going to make their stuff better. Um, and he used to harp on me all the time about like, you need to find an objective way to, to measure this. And when I got this heart rate monitor, I was sitting there looking at it and I'm like, I can probably measure everything just with this tool. And it wasn't <laughs> completely true, but it was mostly true. Um, and that's when I started making leaps and bounds where it's like, okay, if I don't have a copy before I shoot, my heart rate is higher than it usually is. Okay. And then I look into why, and then I start looking into measuring like what exact amount of caffeine do I need? Um, and that, that has changed from day to day. Um, and so it's a lot of, um, it's a lot of that, but our national coach here is, um, in his previous career was a, uh, was a chemist professor out, out at Black Hill state. And, um, he's really big into research and he understands, you know, how, how to collect data like that. So he's been a huge help as far as like trying to dissect things of like, okay, this is reliable data. Just because you're up until midnight playing Xbox and you got up at 6 a.m. to go train does not mean that this is a, like the next day of training is a valuable source for this kind of experiment, but it could be useful for jet lag or something like that. And then all of a sudden all that data goes somewhere else. And then, you know, basically it, it turned from, oh, okay, I'm gonna try this for a few weeks and we're gonna measure it. It was, we're do measuring everything every day and we're just collecting all this data and we're just going to look at it as a whole as time goes on because it continues to evolve and adapt and the average is changing, and, you know, timelines and all the school statistics, whatever. Um, yeah, it's pretty neat. It is super, super interesting. Um, also, shout out to, you said your coach, who was a chemist? That's insane. Yeah, no, that's he's pretty cool. cool. Yeah, to say the least, he sounds like a pretty cool dude. Um, so I, I think that's really interesting. And it, I think it's just the process that you've taken this. I mean, um, seems like you've really run with it. Uh, you know, you thought, hey, this is a cool idea to now literally everything is being tracked at all times and understanding and then trying to figure out, as you said. And, and also really what I got from that is you, it sounds like you should play Xbox till about, you know, midnight every uh, every so often just to enjoy yourself a little bit more. You deserve yeah, it, man. You work hard. Yeah, occasionally, exactly, because it's for science. The name of science, Lucas, and the name of science. I love it. So exactly. um, is, there, is there anything else that you want to tell us about the training? I mean, like, what, what are you specifically doing, I guess, on the actual training side? Like, how much are you running, lifting, and doing all that to, I guess, compared, um, I mean, to, to 2016? I mean, it was essentially, as you said, you kind of just did stuff occasionally because you wanted yeah. to be a human being. And now it sounds like it's super regimented and structured. Yeah. So before... And actually really up until about October, my training was the same. I was like, okay, I'm just going to throw a bunch of lead down range. And, um, you know, I had goals for that. Like I'm going to work on this and this and this. Um, and I did a bunch of research on, what do you call it? Like mo motor recruitment and muscle memory and how that is affected and how that's played out in, in um, skill sports. Um, and one of the theories that came up, because I didn't find anything that proved this, but one of my theories was the body knows what it wants to do I need to make sure that the body's healthy enough to do that. And it also needs to not get comfortable enough to 
you know, cut it short or to kind of like, um, you know, take any shortcuts, whatever. Um, and so one of the things I've been doing is like really high intensity, um, training while I'm shooting. So I'll shoot about the course of fire of a match. Um, so it's about like an hour and 30. And so with the warm up and everything else included, it's about a two hour process, two and a half hour process. Um, and I would just measure everything throughout that time. And then once everything's collected, I look through it all, say, okay, you know, today I tried this and this is where the breaking point was, or it was great, or it was really bad or whatever. Um, and you know, whether or not it's good, bad, and different has really been determined about my, my own like intrinsic ability to see where the shot's going and to understand what it feels like to shoot a good shot instead of just relying on a screen because one of the, actually one of the books that I did read was uh, peak by Anders Ericsson. And so one of the things that he talks about is association with um, like how human beings learn and how they can um, associate these things with um, learning skills and being able to be proficient at skills, et cetera. Um, and I took that to heart. And so if I, what I started learning is, okay, if I can intrinsically understand where I'm pointing at the gun, even without even looking through the sights, I can get the outcome that I want. Um, and I'm getting pretty close to it. The weird thing is that also kind of came up as I got more proficient as that or with that is it was harder to be consistent because the expectation became much higher. And then I started, you know, if you, if you think of like, you know, if you're watching, um, TV or something or Netflix, you can definitely tell the difference between when it's, you know, was it like 480 K and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then you look at like 1080 or whatever, you definitely see a difference in the resolution. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to dig, I'm going to go even deeper. And then I started looking at nutrition and what to do during the matches and during the practices, um, and blood glucose levels, stuff like that. And then I started doing stuff where it was like, okay, I'm going to fast today. And I would measure that on my heart rate where I, you know, shot a match fasted. And then as I was measuring this stuff, like my, my headspace would be all whacked out and all wigged out. And it's like, Oh wow. So this is what happens to my blood sugar is low. And this is what happens objectively with my heart rate. Okay. That's, that's okay. important. Yeah. That's very important. And now you can understand exactly what you need moving forward to make sure that all of those things do align. And I, I just want to double check and make sure I heard you correctly. You you have been shooting without the sight and you are still well, like, like it just, just explain that to me one more time. Cause it sounds like you're shooting from the hip. So, you know, we're, we have the gun mounted in our shoulder and we have the proper stance. Um, what I meant by that was if the sights weren't there, I could still hit the 10 ring. Oh, wow. but I don't, I don't usually take, Oh no, I never take the sights off. But what I do do is I'll look through the sights, align the target, close my eyes okay okay, okay. Where my natural point of aim is going okay um, and if it stays there then it's like well i mean you don't need the visual aid to mm -hmm. there i can just rely on my body and that's the skill i'm developing is my body's ability to just point that is awesome that is so so interesting that you've been able to do all this in such a short period of time too october wasn't that long ago um what five months maybe six if we're really pushing it so yeah. uh, i think that is it's really interesting how you've been able to kind of just just kind of start something and then not, and then really, as you said, let's just keep going deeper. Let's till we wait till we get to 4k. I mean, I can't wait for you to get to 4k on this stuff. Yeah, uh, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be absolutely incredible. The one question I do have with this though, um, is I guess 
at what point, especially with the Olympics coming up in only a few months, at what at what point do you stop going deeper? At what point do you just take all the information that you've been able to consume and then just start to harness it and make sure you're getting as good as you can at that rather than continuing to go deeper to find new and new things, which you might not be super proficient at or, or does, that, right. does, that, does that make sense? It does. Cool. And actually I do have that marked on a calendar. It's May 1st. Oh, sweet. Okay, cool. That was easy. Yeah. So, um, but how I've much deeper, two... I guess, does that mean? Um, well, actually, I'm, so as far as like rocks unturned, you know, for th- sitting around and you know, looking in the gardens, like, okay, I've got like five right here that unturned and there's like a thousand more over there. I'm not going to go overturn all those, but what I'm going to do is look at like, okay, what are the obvious things to me that I need to work on? And one of the big things is traveling, um, and dealing with jet lag and how that d- deals with my heart rate and how it deals with my sleep. And so there's going to be two World Cups in Asia, one in India in March, and then one in Japan in April. Um, and that's going to be my two opportunities to just try things. So I've got a, um, I've got an idea for what I'm going to do for India. I'm going to do it. And if it works, great. Then I'll do it again in Japan. But if it doesn't work, then I'm going to try something else. And if neither of those work, then I'm just going to kind of wing it for the rest of the year and All stop right. trying to do experiments um, and just kind of go with what I, what I currently do. Um, but yeah, that's, that's about it. Everything else right now is like, okay, I'm just going to kind of stabilize and roll through the rest of the year. And then after this year, uh, we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. I mean, if you, you, we give you, I mean, we gave you five months already. If I can only imagine what the next, you know, two years would look like if you continue to just keep, you know, digging down this path, you're turning over rocks and digging deep beneath them. Um, I think that's a great analogy too, and understanding exactly like, all right, yeah, we know there's so, so, so much that you could possibly do. Um, let's focus on the most obvious right now and the, and the things that will have the biggest impact. Uh, like nutrition, like exercise, like jet lag, play more of Xbox, uh, and really just understanding exactly what you need to do in the the big grand scheme of things, and then be able to kind of take that and move forward. So I think it's awesome. Um, good stuff, man. I know that wasn't, I wasn't planning on spending like a half an hour on that, but I'm really glad I did because it motivates me. Maybe I'm going to take a run tomorrow. It was like 65 hey. degrees today, so I went outside. But uh, you Ooh, know, hopefully, hopefully, go. yeah, I was very very grateful for that. New York City doesn't. New York, this area does not get that. That nice um, February, whatever the heck it is, 24th. Um, all right, so step one, started doing something like this, went, crushed it at Nationals for three out of four years, however it's been. Step two, the Pan American Games. Read a pretty awesome article. Thank you to you for sending that over. Thank you to Kate uh, for sending that over. Thanks, Kate. Um, and really appreciate that. And uh, I then wrote down here, what a long, strange trip it was. Um, it sounds like you you had some crazy stuff that went on. Um, so the Pan American Games this year were in, or it was, was it this year? 2020 or is it 2019? 2019. 2019. Oh, okay. uh, 2019. Yeah. Yeah. They were in Lima, Peru. Correct. You had the goal to win the gold. Yeah. All right. And you did that. So congrats. Thank you. Pretty killer. But it, it took, there, there's a couple of twists and turns it took for you to get there. So how was just getting to Peru? Let's talk about that for a second. It was pretty rough. Um, so leading up to all this and this this is actually kind of a kind of a key point because i think this helped my whole situation i i just logged on to united's website just because i was looking at stuff and there's a first class ticket upgrade for like 50 bucks and a bunch of miles so i'm like okay sure why not it's a pan-american game so i'll treat myself very well deserved uh, i've never fl- flown first class so i'm excited to hear about it oh yeah so get up today to leave for the Pan American Games, our flight from Colorado gets delayed. 
So I get on that flight eventually, get to Houston, and I and I literally miss the flight. Um, get down there, the the plane's pulling away. So I go to the United Help Desk, like, hey, okay, yeah, we'll put you up in a hotel. We'll uh, we'll reschedule for the flight tomorrow night. You know, this is all good and stuff. Go ahead and have fun and you know whatever. So I went up to the first class lounge and had a you know a drink and a, and a burger, and then I went just you know enjoyed the rest of the night. Um, woke up the next day, went to go eat breakfast, and I went to go back to the first class lounge just to do like work or you know communicate with kids before i went overseas um and then i started getting like stomach pain uh pretty deep down um and it was i, I felt pretty fortunate because there was like lounging chairs I'm like okay this is fine i guess and i'll deal with this um you know I, this is a good thing from experience if there's like weird pains that you don't have all, like we've all had a stomach ache right like that's yeah i know what that pain is but once you start feeling it in places that you're not supposed to feel stomach pains um I've had it happen to me. So from experienced kids out there listening to this, just, I don't know, go to a doctor if you can. Just yeah, don't do, stick don't that. Do into, yes, don't do exactly what Lucas may have done. Yeah, don't do this. So, you know, I, I, I quote unquote, suffered through all this. And, it, you know, it wasn't all that bad. Got on the, got on the plane, got down in my seat. You know, it was first class. Like, oh, man, this is kind of cool. Get up to altitude. And as time went on, it just got worse and worse. And so I was actually able to lay down. And for some reason, laying down made it feel better. Um, so I lay down for most of the flight, get down there. Um, my equipment didn't get in. So the USOPC there, they met all the U S athletes coming in. So, um, somebody was there to greet me, uh, went back to the village, you know, whatever. So the next day, um, I get up, go to sports. Well, so, for the- so, uh, so your equipment not getting in, is that just a, was it from the, the flight from Colorado to Houston? It just got redirected into the wrong spot. Did you ever figure out exactly what, cause I've had that happen to me before too. And it's the worst. Yeah. I think what happened was that it just got forgot about in Houston. Um, that's about it. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, um, did you get it back at least? I did. Yeah. Okay. I got it back pretty quickly. That's good. Um, so the equipment came in the next day. Um, but, um, somebody else had to go get it because I ended up in, in the hospital later. Um, so going back to that morning, went to the sports med, they gave me some pills, ate breakfast and went to the range. Okay. I'm going to go to the range. I'm going to watch my friend shoot. So I went, started watching him shoot, you know, still feeling pretty uncomfortable. Um, and then as we were all kind of packing up and leaving, I went to the restroom and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to pass out. So I get back on the bus. Talk, I texted the physio and the national coach and I said, Hey, you know, I'm really not feeling all that great. Um, and we didn't even get to the village. We, um, or no, we got to the village, but I didn't get to my dorm. Uh, we ended up being met by one of the one of the American doctors who spoke Spanish. Um, and he took a and he we got into a car. We had the, like the Peru lanes, which are like these separate lanes designated for just the Pan American Games. Um, and we just rushed off to one of the emergency rooms. Um, and you know, a bunch of doctors came in and they, you know, were pushing on my appendix, trying to see if it was that. And they would like, you know, they would do a little tap thing where they take their hands away, and I'm like, it doesn't hurt. It's not my appendix. I swear to God, it's not my appendix. And they're all sitting there like, oh, we want to take your appendix. I don't take my appendix. <laughs> um, so then we did a bunch of tests later and we determined that it was a kidney infection. Um, and so they gave me, gave me some, some medicine. Uh, I got a lot of fluids and then I went home at around midnight that night. Um, so the next day I, I did feel noticeably better. Um, There's still a lot of pain, um, but it wasn't the you know, I guess it's, I, I can't describe the feeling, you know, when it's tapering off, like, you know, it's going to go away. It's like, okay, it hurts. It hurts bad, but it's going to go away. I can feel it. Um, and so went and started practicing that day, went to go look th- through my gear and a bunch of my equipment was stolen, like my earmuffs and 
we had this training device that was taken by TSA while leaving the country somewhere. Um, and that was all not great. Um, when I actually came around to the actual competition, um, the, the following day, so this is two, two days later, um, post, post hospital. And, um, you know, we have the, the canvas suits and everything. So I cinched up my pants and it was, you know, of course it's laying right across, you know, where all the pain is. So I'm kind of like suturing this thing. I'm like, okay, now it's constricted. Now it hurts more. This is, this is fine. Um, but it didn't bother my hold though. I, I looked through the sites. I'm like, okay, this is not going to bother my hold. This is fine. Um, and I can just kind of suffer through this and this is okay. Started shooting, started off really well. And then my trigger started moving weights and stuff like that. So, um, for trying to understand an analogy, try to imagine like if you're taking a golf swing and then all of a sudden the golf club itself were to become twice as, twice as heavier, twice as light as you're coming in to hit the ball and like you all get all wagged, wicked out on stuff. Um, that's kind of what it was with the trigger getting all wicked out. So finished the match. Um, I made the final and we had, a, we have an hour between the final and when the match or, or sorry, when the match ends and when the final starts. Um, so they went out, took it out of the stock, showed it to the national coach, you know, he and I were talking, uh, I was like, well, it could be this one screw. So we tightened that screw and then it was fine. And so I, you know, we put it back to this general setting that we thought was fine. And we're like, eh, we're going to roll with it. And that's what we did. Rolled with it for the rest of the day. You know, I shot the final, took it one shot at a time and eventually won it. Um, and that was an amazing feeling. That's, this was like four days. Pretty much. That's insane, man power to you so so you said um you know kidney i actually kind of wrote it down here i had some kidney problems recently as well so i know oh, wow. I, I had a kidney stone so not quite the same but my sister-in-law did have a kidney infection at the same time so like a week ago um so i don't know what it is about kidneys man but there are some something's in the water in the united states i guess um, <laughs> and we're all get <laughs> say again you said, were you in Houston? I was not. I was talking to people in Houston. Maybe that's what it was. But no, it's it's crazy. That was some of the worst pain that I've ever felt in my entire life. Um, so kudos to you for making it through. It was such a weird... And mine was also on my right side. So they the doctors were like, do you have your appendix still? I was like, yeah. They're like, you might not later. And I was like, this isn't that oh. funny. Like, I'm in a lot of pain. But um, <laughs> yeah, we had some fun with that one. So that is pretty interesting. Your equipment gets stolen. Um, thankfully, I mean... I. Well, like how much equipment, like the gun and the ammunition and how much of that stuff is put specifically like in a safe or put completely away and, and how much of the other stuff I, I don't want to just say is laying around as if you just left it out there for someone to take, but is a little bit more accessible. Well, I think what happened was when the, the, the package, or not packages, but when the, the bags, yeah, the bags, that's the word I'm looking for. When the bags came in, um, my bag probably got pulled for some security reason and they opened it up and for the, you know, 95 to 99% of the time, when somebody opens one of our gear bags, they're going to look at it and go, oh my God, this is a complete mess. I have no idea what any of this stuff is. I'm not even going to bother and they just close it. But they probably saw the earmuffs and went, wow, that's a really nice pair of earmuffs because, you know, USA Shooting sponsored by Peltor and they've got nice stuff. And they probably took it for their kids or something. I don't know. Um, and it was very clearly rummaged through because there's a lot of boxes in there that are closed that were opened. Um, the only thing they didn't go through was my ammunition, which, you know, is nice because it's just little lead pellets and I can only bring one tin. Um, and so if they were to open that, I would have been completely screwed. Um, so that was nice of them. Um, turn around to, you know, actually, as far as, um, like the gun and everything, all that's sealed with personal locks. Um, when you typically, when you get to an airport, whether you're going in or out of the country, 
um, you would open it up in front of security so they can inspect the firearm and the proper paperwork or whatever. And that's what we did when we got to Peru. Um, and that was all good and stuff. Well, actually I didn't do that. The uh, USA shooting interim CEO and I think our team lead for Pan Ams were the two people that went over there, which thankfully the Peruvians were okay with not me picking up my own guns. Cause a lot of countries usually don't take that well. Um, but usually all the stuff's separate and it's locked away. Um, so I've definitely changed changed how I packed since then. Yes, that makes sense. That does make sense. And yeah, I can I can kind of understand why a government, a foreign government, wouldn't be the biggest fan of that. But have hopefully, um, thankfully, it did happen, and you were able to get all your stuff. And the person didn't take the most important stuff, uh, too, which is is very sure. important. So you know, let's look at it as a positive. They could have taken more, but they decided they wanted you to win, and you know, you went out there and won. I mean, with all that going on, um, how how much cooler was it? to take home that gold or how, how much more, how much less stress did you feel after you were able to kind of put everything down, take that metal home and just say, you know, I'm going to go rest cause I'm still in massive amounts of pain. Um, you know, it felt pretty good. You know, I, I said something earlier where it's like, got to go represent these kids. And, um, you know, I work with about 15 juniors who are trying to find their way to college and I work with a couple other adults. Um, and I think part of that kind of gives me, is like, wow, okay, I've got all these reasons now to, to deal with this issue. Um, and so in the moment it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to push through and just see where I end up. Cause this is not going to be an excuse. Um, and by the time I got home, you know, it was kind of nice to just kind of sit and relax and just kind of re- recuperate for about a week or so. Um, I ended up going back to the emergency room one day when I was back in the United States, but it was for, it was re- really no big deal. Um, I think it was just kind of like one of the the body or the kidneys were really filtering out the last part of it. And I was just having an adverse effect to it. But then since then I've been quite healthy. Um, Happy to hear it. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that, um, you know, with like blood pressure management and everything like that, having this experience down in Peru um, really kind of put me in connections with a lot of USOPC people that otherwise I wouldn't be in contact with. Um, And that actually, really kickstart a lot of this other stuff like in October um, doing, doing all these weird, not weird, but all these extra little experiments or whatever. Um, that was really kind of the kicker point where it's like, wow, I've got so many more resources now because of this experience, both. Well, there was an American athlete that went to the hospital, but also for winning. Um, so, you know, two sides to the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really opened up a lot of doors, which was nice. So That is really, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously again, it's, it's super crappy what happened and i would not wish i've been through some pain similar and probably not the same but similar pain and i wouldn't wish that upon anyone um but to see how it has significantly affected your life moving forward allowing you to do more of these experiments and have bigger better more resources and people to talk to about something like this um we have to be grateful that it happened, right? Be grateful that it happened yeah. because it, it clearly would not have, you know, everything that you've been through now or that you will be moving through up into, you know, that May 1st date. And then after obviously the games and everything, your career moving forward would potentially be very different. Uh, so very, very grateful that that happened to you. It's an unfortunate situation. You didn't really need your stuff to be stolen. Um, that kind of just sucks, but um, you know, it is what it is. And you know, we, uh, we move forward with it, right? Yeah, yeah, we just keep chugging along. We keep chugging along. And by winning the Pan American Games, by, by, by taking that home that medal, you qualified Team USA spot in the Olympics, correct? Correct, yeah. You, and I just want to make sure that there is the distinction. There's, you can qualify a spot in the Olympics, but that does not guarantee you the athlete. So Lucas did not qualify himself 
for the Olympics at that part point, correct? Correct. Okay, cool. So, so I, keep going. That's your story, okay. man. I'm just here to listen. So what I ended up doing in um, I earned a quota. Um, so there's different opportunities for quotas. Um, where actually, I think that was one of the United States' last quotas that we could have earned. Um, so the Pan American Games had two available. Um, well, actually, let me explain what a quota is. So quota is a literal spot at the Olympics. A country can hold a maximum of two of them. Um, and so you can have two go for men's air gun, two for women's air gun, two for men's 3P, and et cetera. Um, and when you earn a quota, that just opens up the spot for your nation. Now, depending on the nation that you compete for, that either becomes your spot or becomes the country spot. Um, there's some, a lot of, a lot of countries will typically just award the athlete who won at that spot and said, Hey, congratulations. You won a quota. You get to go to the Olympics. You get a year and a half to prepare or six months or whatever, whenever they earned it. Um, but the way our system's set up, um, we have a selection procedure for just a, this is a trial and it's based purely on score. Um, doesn't matter, um, what they did during the quad. All that matters is if they pass through the trial. And so earning, earning the spot for you know, the United States is a big deal to me because like, okay, that means now we have two, two American men who can shoot, compete in air gun, um, which was really, really important. Um, there was a few times in our, in our history where we would be competitive at world cups, but then just kind of fall short at the continental games. Um, and then this quad, we haven't done a whole lot with world cup medals. Um, but we've been doing really well at Continental Games, so there's been more pressure there. We're developing our people to, to do better. Um, so it was a really big positive. Um, but it also kind of set out the rest of the year where it's like, okay, it's August you know, 3rd or something. I think we're like a year, in, year away from the Olympics. Four months from now, I got to – or six months from now, I got to earn this. Six months from then, I got to do something with it. Um, so that kind of set that path a little bit, even with the immense kidney pain. It was like, yeah, this is great. This is really empowering. I won who but the training's still going and we still got we still got work to do of course and i mean it's, it's it's better to always have work to do competition breeds excellence as as uh you know most people know i mean if, if we're all gonna we're all gonna compete against each other hopefully we're all getting better every single day at it um and i think it is really interesting how the united states does it um i'm sure there's pros and cons to both systems and how that works so i don't really need to we don't need to dive too deep into those but what so now knowing that there's two spots was let there less stress on you knowing i mean obviously you just won the gold medal at the pan american games so clearly you won the national championship you're clearly one of the better shooters in this specific discipline in the united states knowing that there's an extra spot there for you to potentially take did that help you at all mentally with with the stress and the pressure side or was it just kind of a okay cool well, i'm still shooting for the number one spot anyway it doesn't matter yep number two all right, cool. Don't even need to answer that one. Sounds good. Um, so getting to the actual qualifying for yourself, um, what, so Olympic trials, if you don't, you kind of just explained it a little bit. It's, it's point-based and it's, it's a single event, correct? It's two events, but two yes, events. it's point-based. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So can, can you just explain how, how the process works and how you eventually became, um, you know, an, a 20, not 2020 Olympic hopeful anymore and a soon to be Olympic, uh, you know, 2020 Olympian. Yeah. Um, so for all the shooting events, we have a two-part trial. The part one uh, trial was sometime in 2019, and then the part two was in 2020. For the air rifle events, they started in winter air gun the first week of December, and then they concluded in 
Olympic trials part two, um, the first week of February. Okay. Can I ask not too many sports have two Olympic trials? I don't think, right. Why exactly does USA shooting do it that way? Um, no, there's a bunch of reasons like why part one and two. Um, yeah. So they wanted a, a bigger sample size for, you know, what the person can do. Can they carry said success over a course of two months or, um, or an extended period of time? Uh, last quad, it was not bad. It was just a straight one event. Um, but this quad, it was, it, we decided to, um, to break it up. Um, is it the best way, you know, I don't know. Cause life things can happen to somebody, yeah, can get hurt, yeah. or, you know, um, it's not ideal, but, um, it's a system we have. And so it's an accumulation thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I won winter Aragon. I was only maybe like two or three points ahead of second place. Um, and so I got to keep that lead going into the second part of trials, which is pretty nice. Um, even though it, it really doesn't, it's not really that big of a difference. I mean, if you think about like in football, like if your team is winning by three points, like by a field goal, it's like, well, I mean, if the other team scores a touchdown, yeah. I mean, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like that. Um, and then it was the same format. There's two matches for each uh, with a final. And with the final, you get some additional points. And so for air rifle, um, it would be half increment points for the different finishing place. So if you finish in eighth place in the final, you get half a point, seventh one, one and a half or six, so on to fourth or to four points for getting first place. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's, that's the whole selection procedure. And we just mm-hmm. take whoever has the most numbers. And then you finish the in, and you finished in first place over those two events. Correct. Very nice. Congratulations. And now 20, 2016 Olympian and soon to be 20. What do you call yourself? I guess if you're about to be a 2020 Olympian, you haven't, I mean, you, you, you qualified, you're there. Like, I don't know. Is that, I just keep saying soon to be, I don't know if there's like a specific term I, or anything. Actually, I think that's, that's the right way to do it Yeah, because we do name alternates. And so if somebody were like some, some event were to happen or whatever, yeah. I mean, you know, that person didn't go to the Olympics. So it's, I'm it's technically still hopeful. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's true. But that's yeah. a great point. I, I uh, had the opportunity to interview um, a woman, Jacqueline Wiles, a uh, long time ago at this point. And she, in the event to tune up just to kind of keep her body moving right before the games, ended up blowing out her knee and never was able Ooh. to actually compete. Yeah, it was awful. Um, but her story is incredible. And she was just like, whatever, I, I'll do it again in four years. And I was just like, Jacqueline, more power to you. That is, that yeah, is insane. Her. Yeah. Oh wow. my goodness. Yeah. I don't know. It was just like a, hey, like I just want to kind of keep my body moving. And yeah, she like blew out her patella. It's, her episode's way, 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 way back there if anyone's interested, but she's an incredible Ooh. person. Um, so looking at the 2020 games now, soon to be Olympic hopeful, whatever the heck we're calling you, what have you done? Are, are you taking a different approach to the games themselves, the, the, the competition, the, the experience, and really taking it in, considering you've been to one? Not many people get to go to one, so congratulations for that, but even less people get to go to two. So congr- ultimate congratulations to you. Thanks. Is there anything that maybe you didn't do the first time around that you're like, you know, I really, really wanted to do it. Didn't, wasn't able to do it. Let's see if we can fit it in or, or anything like that. Less about you, the person and more about the experience of being at the Olympic games. You know, I wanted to do, well, okay. So Rio, Rio had its issues. Um, it was kind of hard for us to move around and do stuff. Um, so that was, that was kind of one of my, my little, little regrets is that we didn't get the chance to do more stuff. But I mean, since what exactly is stuff? like see the uh, city and like the, the, like move around and like go sightsee kind of thing. Yeah. Like, okay. you know, I, all I basically did was like go train, go back to the village, go train, go back to the village. And we went to, um, 
oh, what is that? Copacabana, the beach there. Oh yeah. Um, so we went there a couple times. Um, but that was, a, that was really it. And so one of the things that I want to do with in Tokyo, um, and we're already kind of starting to put the plan for this together with like my family and my wife and, um, you know, whoever, whoever else ends up going, um, just go do stuff. I mean, that's, that's really the big thing is like you're in this, you know, foreign country, you know, one of the, what, one of the dozen countries with characters for letters, um, like go experience it. I mean, it's going to be crazy. it will be cool. Um, so that's one of the things that I want to do is like, just go out there, enjoy stuff, go look around, go experience things, go climb a mountain or something. I don't know. Um, you know, whatever, just go. Tokyo. I mean, I want to go there as a person. Um, I can only imagine what it would be during the Olympics with all those extra people there and everything, but I, it looks like such a fun place and it's so different and foreign, uh, for lack of a better term than anything. I mean, I've been to New York city, but Tokyo completely, you know, is completely different. Right. So it's just like, it would be so cool to be able to just go experience that, um, at a time like the Olympics. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, no, we went to, um, we went to Beijing in April. It's kind of like what you said, like going to, like, you know, you go to New York and you, when you go to these big cities, like the, the city that kind of defines the nation kind of thing, it is just different. Exactly. Yeah. It's so cool. And so it's, I'm really excited to see what, you know, what Tokyo is all about. I love it, man. And then, so what about like, what else are you, or like, what are you doing? What kind of approach are you taking to the, the games themselves? Are is there anything different that you're looking to do? Obviously we, we discussed your training, you know, for, for an extensive period of time. And I appreciate that. How are you looking to then take advantage of everything that you've learned um, to make sure that you can put, put that forward. And, and, you know, obviously with the jet lag and, and with being, you know, the, the time difference being, you know, your family's going to be there having to pay attention to them, having to get to pay attention to them, however you want to say it. Like, how are you yeah. going to take all of that into accumulation and make sure that you can put the best product onto the range on the day when you need to? Um, just really learning how to compete on the day. Um, you know, there's going to be, I'm going to compete in three World Cups in between now and then. Um, and there's going to be the, there's a Pan American game that's in May. And so I'm going to go to that. We're going to go try, I'm going to try to go to that. Um, and so basically show up at all these matches and have my calcul have my calculated plan, see if the math adds up or yeah, see if it all adds up. And if it does great, if not, then it doesn't. It doesn't and it doesn't mean by winning. That just means by being able to show up and perform the way I exactly. want to. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something that I did not do in Rio because I just kind of winged it. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I thought I had a plan and that's why I said I winged it because I thought I had a plan, but my plan wasn't strong enough to deal with the pressure. Um, and really by the time I got off the firing line in Rio and by the time I actually circled back around to, to be with my family, um, I already, I already made up my mind about competing for the Rio game or the Tokyo games. I was like, yeah, okay, I got to do this again because that was not great. <laughs> Well, hey, hopefully you you do so good in Tokyo that um, you want to do Paris just because it'd be fun to win or, or fun to a repeat, I guess we could say. Um, yeah. Twenty twenty four is not that long. That's not that long, right? It's only four more years. Yeah. You just did it. You just did the last four years. Shoot, what's another yeah. four right at that point? Yeah, exactly. um, and then so an, a thing that I'm just kind of curious about: Have you reached out to any athletes either within your sport, within your discipline, or or just in general about hey, how how did you take the second time around, or how did you take you know after your first time, what did you do differently to make sure that you were prepared, but you still had the opportunities to go sightseeing and do all the things that you wanted to do? Because you don't, again, this only comes around once every four years and not everybody gets to go. Have you spoken to any other athletes that have been to multiple games just to see what they have done? 
Yeah. It's actually pretty common for shooting sport athletes to go to multiple Olympics. Okay. Um, and I think that just might be a disparity of skill between the top people and the next generation or whatever. It does take a long time to, to develop said skills. Um, and so I've reached out to a few people about like, Oh yeah, you know, I did this and I won the silver medal here. And then I spent the next five days in London doing this, or, you know, they're in Beijing and they did this. Um, because I just kind of getting their perspectives on what they thought was the right thing in the moment. Um, it's kind of brought up a little bit of clarity on how to kind of act on my own with, um, with this upcoming games. Yeah. I think that's really important just to kind of, you know, take, take advantage of the people that have already experienced something and, you know, maybe you don't use it all, but at least you can kind of keep it in the back of your mind, pick and choose, cherry yeah. pick the ideas that you want to utilize moving forward. Sure. Um, and then the last question I have for you, Luke, is what, what do you need to do to improve on 2016? Um, you, you just alluded to it before. You, you wanted to come back in 2020 because you were not happy with your, your, your success in 2016. But congrats. Anyway, you made it. You're one of the best in the world. That's, that's something. But being an elite athlete, just being one of the best in the world means nothing. You obviously want to win or get as close as you can. So what, what do you look to do? What, what do you need to do to make sure that you can improve upon uh, your, last, your last time in the Olympics in 2016? Um, I want to put one of the things I need to do is put myself in more pressure situations. And so that's why I'm traveling so much this spring. Um, you know, the, the United States hasn't had any male shooters, this squad make a world cup final in Aragon, And that's one of my goals um, is to get back into the, the mix internationally with all them. Um, and honestly, at the end of the day, um, the biggest, not the biggest goal, cause I've got a bunch, I've got all sorts of goals for the Olympics, but the one that re- is really differing from, Rio is how, like how I'm going to be making my decisions in the moment. Um, and that's really important because when you're, you're existing, doing this skill, you trained up all this time and the person doesn't have that discipline to just execute the right way, you know, you're going to fall short. And so that's really my big difference. Okay. I'm just going to make better decisions in the moment at the place that it matters. I also like your, your, the, the way you're going about it by going to all these competitions, trying to make it as far as you can and utilizing all that data that you receive to then take it and, and see and understand what you can need or what you can do with it moving forward when you do get to that point. So no, man, I love it. This is awesome. Um, Lucas, reoccurring guest, sincerely appreciate, appreciate, ah, sincerely appreciate. I did the whole episode, the whole episode. And finally, I'm, I'm going to leave this in, but that, that makes me a little angry. Um, Lucas Kaczynski, <laughs> USA shooting air rifle, 2016 Olympian, soon to be 2020 Olympian. Lucas, really appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me back on. It was good. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Our Athletes with Lucas Kaczynski. As I said, it was really cool to have someone come back on after they qualified for the games. I'm really glad that he decided it was something he wanted to do. He reached out to me and said, hey. I did this thing. Would it be cool if I came back on? I said, absolutely. So make sure, again, to go follow Lucas on all his social medias. Please follow us on all of ours as well. Everything is in the show notes. And if you could please give this show a five-star rating on iTunes, it would be super, super helpful everywhere else. I don't know how ratings work, but if you could do them too, that would be great. But mostly iTunes. Sorry, everybody else. But we would still appreciate anything. So thank you all so much. Sincerely, sincerely for your time. And I hope you make it a wonderful day. <laughs>